0: another world of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks everybody for taking the time to join us on today. And a special welcome as always to those who are tuning in for the first time. Welcome to you. Uh, And we're going to do something a little different today, uh, but not so much different. Uh, We've been talking lately about the, the topic of weren't we already doing that? And And basically talking about things that have been happening recently in user experience that basically have been rebranded, where people have been taking things that were already being done, giving it a new name and then rolling it out to unsuspecting people, acting like it was something new, uh, selling them on it and, and really doing the discipline a lot of of harm. Uh, and and just to digress a little bit before we get into tonight's topic, the people really need to know UX's history. <laughs> you really need to know where we came from. Uh, we had a there was an interaction with an individual that we had recently who said that uh, we're not we're not human factors people. We're not human computer interaction people. And like that's where we came from. It's amazing how people act like UX is this brand new thing. It's relatively new. It's 20 years old, roughly. But we have been building on a lot of different principles, a lot of different practices, and evolving from that perspective. Not the way that some people think, but people who don't know the history are ripe to buy into all this newfangled, rebranded stuff that really is not doing the discipline any good at, at all. So um, it, 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 make sure you know the history, a little side note, just make sure, do what you can, learn about the history of UX. I talk about it sometime in some of my talks, that you can trace actual practices, things that we do today, you can trace them back to the early 20th century. And, and you can see people doing ethnographic studies you can see people conducting interviews so they can understand user needs and then designing based on those needs, based on that data, letting that data drive the design. These types of things were happening well before there was a computer anywhere, and, and, and those were forerunners. You had R- Richard Saul Worman that talked about information architecture in the 1970s. <laughs> that was when he introduced that concept go and look at his books dig into these things you do not want to be one of these eager beavers who's really passionate love the passion excited love the excitement but it has to be tempered the when 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 you're excited and you don't have something to ground you you're prone to, misinformation and other things like that to become victimized by it. And and that's why I talk about a lot of things I do on this show, trying to help people understand things that they're happening, they're related to the discipline. It might not be the work all the time, but it's related to the work. And if you don't know these things, the work's not going to matter because you may not get there. <laughs> so it's really important to know. And we keep trying to tell people, and a lot of people don't want to hear what we have to say, And I'm not worried about them. I'm not worried about the people that don't listen to what we have to say. I know they're there. Uh, I am aware of them. I know the impact they have, but they don't sway me. They don't deter me. I make people aware of these things because you have to navigate around them in order to succeed. So we will always talk about these types of things. That's why the show is called The World of UX because we're talking about everything, not just the work, but everything related to user experience so that we can excel. You can't drive a car and just be be focused on how to drive, where to put your hands, how to use the brakes, how to shift the gears, where to put the gasoline in. There's a bunch of things that have to do with driving that have nothing to do with running the car. And, And UX is the same. There are a lot of things that are connected to the discipline that you have to know that stuff as well as the work in order to thrive in the work. So I can't stress that enough. Tonight, I said we're going to do something different, but not so different. And when I say that, I'm referring to an earlier episode, really early on. There was an episode where I talked about how I got into UX, things that I did, things of that nature. We're going to revisit that. And I'm going to tell the same story, but I'm going to tell it a different way. And this came up because of a question that came in where somebody was asking, they, they heard something that somebody said, and they were asking, how did I really get into UX? Because the picture that somebody painted, a person who knows me, don't really they don't really have a really... Thorough knowledge of my story, but and it's so sad that these kind of people are, are out here. But they're 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 in uh, really high numbers. Be, they they take advantage of the fact that they know you, and they talk to people about the fact that they know you, and then they tell a story about you, and then people believe the story because the person who tells the story knows you. That doesn't mean that they're representing you properly. There are people who know me. Frankly there are people who will smile in my face uh, and then use that perceived closeness because I know who they are I know what they're doing. I'm, I'm not swayed by them you can't you can't hurt me I'm go- I am who I am and I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. Uh, people are not gonna influence me and, and that includes people that I know do not have my best interests at heart who grin and smile in my face and only seek to get information so that they can try to do me harm. I'm aware of this. I've been experiencing this since I was a little kid. So I'm good at it. I recognize it. They're not gonna throw me. Uh, some people will say, yeah, you know, you shouldn't worry about those people there. You just let it roll off your sleeve. If you do nothing about people like this, they will destroy you. So I, I it's amazing how people, there's a lot of bullies in in, hype in, in cyberspace today and, and people will tell you all the time, well, you know, you just can't let that bully bother you. You got to let it roll off your sleeve. That's not how you deal with a bully. That's never been the way to deal with a bully. And when people offer that advice and I love and respect many people who say this to me, but they got to d- take a couple steps back. Do you really know how to deal with a bully? Uh, Cause that advice says you don't, you have to number one, hit the bully back between the eyes and you just do that by telling the truth. You have to let them know that you're aware of what they're doing. You have to make them accountable even though other people won't. You have to let them know. If you let them know that they're going to be held accountable by someone, it deters the behavior because they don't want to be held accountable because everybody em- empowers them and emboldens them and enables them. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call them out. And that's sort of kind of what's going on here because there was a statement that was made about how I got into UX that was grossly inaccurate. And and the person made a statement about how my path of education was that I chose to do this. And the person, I gotta say this, the person who said this didn't mean any harm, but harm comes out of it because People were misled. They don't know the story. Hence, I'm going to tell the story tonight while I'm recording because I'm recording at night. (laughs) You might be listening to this during the day, but I'm recording it at night. So the story is important. The story is always important. Everybody's story is important. And, And I encourage a lot of people who are talking about, oh, yeah, you know, they tell me I got to put myself out there. Just tell your story. Stop trying to act like you're a leader. Don't be like this person on LinkedIn who copied someone else's post about me word for word. And the funny thing was, the person who originated the post did not tag me, but the person who copied the post did, and that's how I found out about it. And I'm going, wait a minute, this looks awful. They didn't even wait for the for 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 the the smoke to clear. Uh, basically, <laughs> they that person posted like earlier in the day and the other person copied the post and posted it later on the same day. And I reached out to the person who wrote the post initially and said, didn't you write the same exact thing? And then I went and found it. And I, so I took both of those posts. I put them side by side and I told everybody what the person did because that kind of behavior needs to be deterred. If you don't do anything to deter that behavior, it just increases they become emboldened. I am not going to embolden anybody, but at any rate, the, the, someone, the person who made the statement that I'm about to refer to did not mean any harm. I really, truly believe that they meant no harm, but harm comes out of it because people will think, the person said that I chose the path of education to enter UX, and that's not what happened at all. So when people see what you do, and they see how you operate, and they see your knowledge or your skill being demonstrated. Some people, they become intimidated, and they think that they can't do the same thing. And I like to encourage people, you can do everything I've done, everything that I that I set out to do, everything I've accomplished. You're listening. You're under the sound of my voice right now. You can do the same thing. That's part of the reason we're sharing this information, so that people can understand I did it. You can do it. That's an underlying tone on, on that that accompanies everything we say and do on this podcast. When I'm doing speaking engagements, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, all of these things. You can do it. You can. You can learn. You can apply. You can grow. You can adjust. You can. You can be triaged if you learn something that wasn't in your best interest, you can get better. Folks, you can do it. So let me tell you my path to UX. And that's the name of our topic for tonight. Let's go back to, I'm only going to go back so far because the things that happened to me before a particular year are not important. What I did prior to say, we're going to go back four years before I got into user experience. There are other things like stories I could tell that would support it, but they're not going to be relevant to many of you. So I'm not going to go there. I'm going to start with my first degree. The first point I want to call out is that I got my associate's degree in the early 1990s. And by the way, that was after a 13 year hiatus from university. 13 years and about a full 14 years after I graduated from high school. So, I just told my age. So, so the I didn't all I had was an associate's degree. That associate's degree is important, you're going to find out why in a little bit. When I was first exposed to user experience, which was 4 years or so, approximately 4 years after I got my associate's degree. I was, PCs became big. A lot of the big appliance stores, Best Buy opened in the mid-90s or so. Everybody was rushing to get to the internet. Um, There were no PCs. Not really. They, They existed, but... You really didn't buy a computer from home. It wasn't, if you did, you might have an Apple IIc. People were buying Commodore 64s, not the kind of stuff you see today. It wasn't the norm. You had to pay an arm and a leg for a 25 megabyte hard drive in 1995. But at any rate, at least that's what we thought, that's what we thought we were doing when we bought it. In 1995, there was, I've told this story many times, There was a nonprofit organization that everybody was rushing to get on the internet and that nonprofit that I was doing some work for wanted to get on the internet as well. And I was supporting, I was, I was doing desktop support related stuff back then. And I was the, if anything was happening and it was technology related, I was the person that was called upon even when I, at my job during the day, I was always the tech guy that got brought in. And so when this nonprofit organization needed some help with their their desire to get on the internet, I thought that I knew enough that I could help them out. And so I volunteered. There were some things I did not know, and there were some things I did know. And I volunteered. I just bought my 25 megabyte hard drive and my 14.4 bond modem. Some people don't even know what that is. Uh, some people are laughing just to hear it. And I decided to make myself available and to try to achieve success with this. So consider this my foundation in UX. Now, we didn't, of course, we didn't call it UX in 95. Don Norman was already called a UX architect, but you know, we didn't know anything about that. We didn't know who Don Norman was. So at any rate, Here I am trying to get established. And this is important for people when when it comes to understanding my path in UX. And when somebody said that I took the academic path to UX and I went to school to learn how to do UX, that is not true. Uh, If somebody said that, they're misleading you. And they're they're telling you that they don't know me. They're telling you they don't pay attention because I have said this multiple times, but folks just, uh, some people, they just, they don't like the fact that, I'm just going to flat out say this, there are some people who don't like the fact that folks like to listen to me because I am of African-American descent, and it perturbs them that somebody is listening to the black guy. And so they just make stuff up. And And people who are, who are prone to believing any kind of hype, gaslighting, mind control, all of these things apply, yeah, they do. Uh, then those kind of people are going to believe these stories. It's important to know people, it's important to know what they bring to the table, it's important to know what they're about, get to know folks. It doesn't take much, but you want to know people's story. So I, I'm I'm gonna put this out there, and then people who tell the lie, they say something different, you know who they are. Good? Sound good? All right. So <laughs> I I began to help them get on the internet, but of course, I don't know all the things that are needed. And two things happened. One is, I started noticing, I felt that certain things needed to be done. It just, to me, it was common sense. It was just common sense. That there were certain things that, I mean, what what kind of information are people looking for? I, I was studying other websites. I was doing competitive analyses. I was doing what we today we call secondary research. I didn't know it was called a needs analysis. I didn't know it was called secondary research. I didn't know that some of the things I started to do was really later, I I, I later learned it to be information architecture. I, of course, a lot of the early websites were nothing more than brochureware, and so that's fine. If that's what we're gonna do first, fine, and that's what we did. I found out what the, I I made sure to gather the requirements. I made sure to gather the assets. I did content strategy work. I came up with, devised the the navigation. I ran some guerrilla research testing sessions to make sure people could find what they were looking for. I, I performed task analyses to make sure that Everything was structured in a way that was going to be easy to use. I was examining, not knowing that I was examining cognitive load. I looked back on it and I realized that I was was trying to evaluate cognitive load and I was trying to make things as simple and as intuitive as possible. This is before I knew what UX was. This is before any of these things. The project was so successful and it made sense to me Why don't you start doing this for other people? There's this massive rush of people that are trying to get on the internet. And of course, my audience, my customer base was going to be small businesses. I mean, I later did websites for, I did websites for law firms. I did websites for, I I, I redesigned the website for a newspaper in the thumb area in Michigan and was their webmaster for years. I did a lot of work, uh, athletes. And, and the whole time, part of what was happening was, and I didn't realize this, two things. Again, I was going the self-taught path, not the academia path, the self-taught path. Because you fast forward about three years, I st- I want to learn. And I wasn't thinking about going back to school at the time. There were very, 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 I mean, there are only a few UX related programs today in 2023. You know, there weren't many in 1998, but books were being released. The Polar Bear book came out in the late 90s. Nathan Shedroth's book on experience design was written in the mid to late 90s. There were books that I could, that I did buy, that I could study. And then taking opportunity, opportunities that were afforded to me through the work for that nonprofit, for the other companies. I started a freelance web design business. And I've heard people say, well, you know, yeah, you can't be a web designer and a UX person. Uh, There are some web designers that were were doing UX work, and I was one of them. I didn't realize that I was doing it and, and actually didn't even give myself credit for it. Until much later, but I'm not going to lie about it. But I'm not going to be cheated either, and so that's why I began to say, "Okay, I've been doing it since because I was." And and if people don't like that, that's too bad. That's their problem. They got to sleep with them. Uh, you know, they got to sleep at night and they got to rest. But I know that that's that's what's going on. That's I know that's what happened, and that's what I'm holding on to. I see other people lying about what they did and nobody gives them a hard time especially if they're not minorities uh, touching on that again uh, but folks just they just they just still give minorities such such a hard time but at any rate here i am the self going through the self taught path looking at things trial and error also there were websites that started to pop up the old webpages that suck.com was a fantastic place to learn about things that were related to web design. And we can learn about usability. Didn't know what heuristics were, but we were already starting to build a personal heuristics repository just through the work that was being done and some of the early reading that was going on. So just fantastic things that were happening. Now, here's another funny thing. Toward the the end of that, right? I, I started doing that start to the, the web design company in 95 books started coming out and I started buying them about 98, 99, 2000. I started buying books, immersing myself in these books. So you see it self-taught, self-taught trial and error. That's how most of the early people learned. Even the people that, that we count as pioneers, Many of them had, some of them had engineering degrees, they had degrees in other places, but many of those pioneers, none of them studied UX. Everything that everybody was doing was coming through, for the most part, was coming through trial and error and tapping into things that other people were writing. And that was my early path. That was my initial path into UX. Everything that happened after that, that served as my foundation. Now, but when you fast forward to 97, I already have the freelance web design business in the evening and then I get a job as an instructional designer. I leave the company where I am, where i already was designing websites for them and doing UX work during the day, part-time, not full-time, part-time. So I started doing UX during the day part-time about 98, 99. And But I'm just learning everything that I can and this stuff I, I read in this book, I get to practice it, this is great. But the instructional design work started to give me additional affordances and, and, and providing what I'll refer to during this discussion or this presentation as a leap. You, when you fast forward, I, I worked at that job for five years one of my big accomplishments there was designing an, an application, using Microsoft Access to design an application to help the human resources department manage employee discipline related issues. How many of you out there forgot that Access even existed? Some of you never heard of Microsoft Access, but I used my software development experience and I had been, i was an old word processor. There are a lot of things that I used to, to help to drive success with that. The app was a success, it was easy to use, it was aesthetically pleasing, it, it eased a lot of the burdens of the people in the HR department. I designed two applications and I turned around and designed the first HR intranet for that company. So that's some of the UX work I was doing on all of those projects. I was using what we now know as UX principles, things that I call other, th- I called them by other things in, today I call them by their, by their real names today. But the big another big leap came right after that. I went to work for another company where I was in charge of instructional design, mostly e-learning. And when I was at the company before I left, they really supported my growth in instructional design and I obtained four certifications in instructional design. While I was at while I was at the one company for for uh five years and including master trainer certification one of the things that I noticed in retrospect was that a lot of the things that I learned as an instructional designer actually apply because I kept getting closer and closer to UX unbeknownst to me but a lot of the things that I was doing needs analyses I was doing task analyses I was doing cognitive walkthroughs I was conducting interviews. I was working on information architecture. I was I was conducting usability testing research. I was doing all of these things when I was doing my, my work on my e-learning projects. And also, not only the company I was I was at for a couple of years, I believe I was at that company, I was also responsible for being the company's webmaster for their consumer-facing, their public-facing site, and I was the webmaster for the internet site. I did a lot of testing on those. I applied heuristics. And and matter of fact, by that time, the book, uh, Jacob Nielsen wrote a book called Homepage Usability. That book came out and that just changed everything for me. That book along with Jesse James Garrett's book, Those books from 2002 to about 2004, huge impact for me because it gave me principles that I found extremely easy to transfer from the pages to the actual practice, Uh, especially the way that Jacob Nielsen was evaluating. He took in the book homepage usability, he took a look at 50 Popular home pages. 50 big name companies. Citibank is the one that I remember that stands out the most. I've seen that book, by the way, on Amazon for as little as 98 cents. It still has value if you were to buy it today, as do a lot of great UX books. They have a very long shelf life. Those two books, between Jacob Nielsen's book and Jesse James Garrett's book, which, which introduced me to the phrase user experience for the most part. And the five planes were embedded in my mind. I mean, watching someone do a heuristic analysis, the way that he laid it out, the way that he provided the commentary, the way he did his annotations, the way that he just just objectively just, I always use the phrase, ripped the site apart. That's, how, that's a phrase I still use to this day. He didn't say that, that's just the way it appeared to me. It was like he looked at the site with no mercy, just call out anything that's not that's not correct, anything that's not optimal, anything that, that's not gonna drive the maximum amount of, poss- of success possible, call it out. Don't be afraid to do it. That's how I learned to be bold in the discipline. When you see something, one of the things that that always sort of tickled me about homepage usability is that Jacob Nielsen was the first person that I heard call out companies who would deploy a website where you could click the, the logo on the homepage and it would reload the homepage. He would constantly say, he dinged everybody for doing that. When you're on the homepage, you don't need to go back to the homepage. So why would that link be live? On the homepage. And and it just things like that. It just really it struck me. That that book probably impacted me more than any other book, with Jesse James Garrett's book being second, impacted me more than any other book that I ever read early in my career while that foundation was being strengthened. While I I'm I'm doing these other things I'm during the day, I'm doing these these e learning, setting up these e-learning programs. And I want to get into what happened with that, but huge success there as well. But I'm doing, I'm, I'm, being allowed to do work on digital properties, websites. There were no mobile apps then yet, so we were working on the websites, intranet and internet sites, and it really helped me a lot to see the the correlation, the synergies between instructional design which I started calling learning experience not too long after that. And user experience, what we now call user experience, it really impacted me tremendously to see the, these principles at work. And another great thing that happened at that company was that I'm doing all this work on the, on the internet and the internet sites, and I'm doing my work in the evening. With my freelance company, but I was really just growing by leaps and bounds by taking things that I would learn because I started buying books, just left and just buying everything, and I'm buying all these books and I'm studying them. I actually lived off of three and a half to four hours sleep for about a six month period of time. So I got married around the same time, and when I got married, I just, I mean, I was just. This whole this shift that was taking place. I was building computers. I was doing the UX stuff. All types of things were going on, and I would just stay up all night studying, and go to sleep for three and a half, four hours, and go to bed, and woke up just as refreshed. I did that for about six months, and every night, for that six month period of time, I just studied. I practiced. I did everything I could. I read a concept in the book, and I I looked for opportunities to to apply what it was that i I learned in those books. So I got so much practice. And and again, the big thing that happened at that company, I almost forgot, the big thing that happened at that company, and I was so just, just in love with all of this, what I now call UX work, and I saw an opportunity at the company. I strongly believe in having an entrepreneurial mindset, wherever you are. If there's an opportunity to start a work from within, You don't need to go outside and start a business. You start one within your own company, truth be told. And that's what happened. I went to the marketing department and I pitched. At the time, I worked for a company. Take a step back. I worked for a company who designed software to help credit unions manage their members, their finances, everything. Credit union management software. Uh, The company's name was Fiserv. That they're the company that that's Fiserv Arena where the Milwaukee Bucks play. For anybody who, if you know that, you you're familiar with Fiserv, not Fis, not Pfizer, Fiserv, Financial Services is what it's short for. And I pitched the the marketing department said, why don't we? We have the ability. We have customers that have needs. These folks are trying to get to the internet as well. Some of them are on the internet, but they have a bad presence. They're not representing their bank their brand to the best of their ability why don't we start offering them web design services we can charge them for that this is going to be a huge a huge income a lot of income we could drive for the company we can help help with our brand we can we can help to build these relationships we can accomplish a lot they loved it and what that did was now here I am going from working on the little, the few websites I was working on in the evening, the internet and the internet site, and now we ended up designing websites for 23 credit unions. And I was right smack dab in the middle of it, leading the charge, doing all the information architecture work. <laughs> I was even creating logos. I was creating logos. I was doing everything. And back then, here's a blast from the past. It, who, who remembers... Macromedia Fireworks. I was actually designing the sites in Fireworks, doing all the slicing, exporting the code, and then that's how we would get the sites to go live. And we we hosted them on our server at the company. So everything was pretty, it was pretty easy. But 23 websites. I was, I reached a point where the instructional design work, I was doing so much design work, that instructional design started to take a back seat to the web design work. But remember, I'm doing web design, but I'm using UX principles the entire time, everything that I'm doing, not just designing and rolling it out. Oh, it looks good. Let's get it done. I was doing all the things that I eventually came to do in my, in my day job, uh, my full-time day job. I left that company and I ended up going to do some work for OnStar and, That's when things changed. That's when another leap took place. I was focusing mostly on instructional design. At the time, I was on the advisory board for what was known back then as RoboDemo. And it's today known as Captivate. I'm still in that that app today to, to some extent. But it was when I was doing that work that I really started to take a long Detailed, very critical look at myself and asking myself what I wanted to do. Uh and 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 also just to keep you up on where I am at this point in my career, from a from an academic perspective, I was attending a, a university and I was pursuing my bachelor's degree in information technology at the time. And I was also making plans, I was about to graduate. And I started making plans. What do I want to do when I'm done with this? Well, I loved instructional design, so I was already making plans. Was already talking to Boise State. I was going to go to Boise State and get a master's in instructional design. But when I started to take more of a look at who I was, I, I didn't think I was that person anymore. I be, I, I loved what I was doing. And at the time we started calling it information architecture, I started loving information architecture so much that I, I felt like I needed to abandon the plans for instructional design. And I applied for a job at an agency and I went to this interview. I, I, I got the interview. Uh, that That's an accomplishment in and of itself but I did not get the job. I I was not, I was not the person (laughs) I I didn't get the job. I wasn't ready. I didn't market myself. Well, a lot of people today cry. They're frustrated about what's going on and getting the job. Folks, we need to face the facts. Sometimes we don't get jobs. Number one, we're again, we're going against a whole host of people. It's an extremely competitive arena, getting a job. And if you don't, I did not present myself. I had tons of experience interviewing, I did not present myself in best light. And, and that's why I didn't get the gig. It wasn't anything else. I, I was the one I needed to make some changes. And that really, when I didn't get that job, that was it. That was, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. That was the thing that really said, you know what? I'm going after this thing. That's who I am. That's what I want to be. Forget about Boise State. Forget about instructional design. It's time for me to go in the direction of information architecture uh, at the time. So I went back, I started looking at how I was presenting myself. I put together a portfolio. I wanted to be able to tell the story the right way. And, and just to be right, I didn't know if anybody was gonna want a portfolio. They didn't ask me for a portfolio when I interviewed at the, at the creative agency, but I just thought nobody told me I needed a portfolio. I already had a portfolio. And I, so I just thought that I'd step it up and change it and make sure that I show things that were related to the job because I had shown things previously in another situation that had nothing to do with the job. So I said, you know what, let's do that's right? I'm going after this gig and a job opened up at a large Midwestern bank that was headquartered in Detroit, Michigan. And I interviewed for my first full-time UX-related gig. I was doing UX work as much as 75% during the day at my jobs up to that point. But I had never held a full-time UX-related gig. I went to this job. I interviewed for this job. And man, was I so happy. That stuff I learned from Jacob Nielsen about ripping apart a site. Uh, I went to that interview, and they asked me during the interview, and and I come to find out this was the thing that actually led them to convince them that I was the person for the job. They asked me what I thought about the company website. And I said, you know what? I'm going to be myself. I'm gonna be my genuine self I am going to, I see the site. I had already reviewed the site because I just did that on a regular basis on my own, even when I wasn't at work. So I was already equipped with a lot of feedback, a lot of thoughts. I ripped that bank's site to shreds and they looked at each other. They said, this is the guy and I got hired and that was my first full-time UX-related gig working there at that bank. And I ended up completing my undergrad degree while I was there. And the reason why I bring this up is because of some of the things that I experienced in that degree uh, or or while I was pursuing that degree. Now, some people don't like education. Uh, Again, somebody said that I went the academic route. I didn't, Uh, I, I started pursuing degrees later because of some other goals that I had, especially when I had applied for a couple of other jobs and I didn't get the jobs because I didn't have a degree. So if we understand that there are certain certain hurdles associated with with getting a job, a certain type of job, then find out what the hurdle is and jump over it. So I went and got, don't complain about it. Don't ask people to lower standards. You come up. And that's what I did. So, So I went and I got my bachelor's degree while I was working at the bank. And I was exposed to things like, and notice none of the things I'm about to mention, maybe one, is directly related to user experience, but think about the benefit you'd get from learning about things like system analysis and design, project management, fundamentals of e-business, that's the one related to UX, of uh, the ethical and human side of IT. These are courses that I took. Fundamentals of software development. I began to see parallels between software development and, and website design or just digital design as a whole. And then data warehousing and data mining, and I had a background working with data. I had worked on data before. That's how I built that 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 application for the HR company and access because I had that old experience. Actually, I got that from doing the work from the for the for the uh, nonprofit. That's where I got my my experience on working with data. So all of those things broaden my horizons, and when when we talk about working in UX, how that it's a commitment to lifelong learning, it's not always about UX. You, You don't always have to learn things about UX. You can learn a lot of things that will help to vault you forward in your desire to excel as a UX person, so keep that in mind. All six of those courses have helped me throughout my career. My bachelor's in IT has helped me throughout my career. It has broadened my perspectives, broaden my horizons. It helps me to be able to talk to other people in in an informed manner. It helps me to respect them. It helps me to support them properly. As a UX person, there's a lot to be gained from being multidisciplinary. A lot to be gained from that. So please keep that in mind. So at any rate, I'm working at the bank and I eventually, the bank moves its headquarters to Texas. I've talked about this before. I ended up leaving and going to work for a large creative agency. I wasn't gonna wait for them to tell us that we were gone. I I left on my own. And and so I got the job at the large creative agency, which happened to be the same exact agency that I didn't get the job at that started all of this. The same place where I didn't get the job, I went back, I got the job, we were supporting work for Ford Motor Company. And, And this was another leap because this helped introduce me to the pervasiveness of UX because I didn't just work on websites. I got to work on interactive TV. I got to work on the UX of email marketing when I was there. Uh, I got to do consultation on a a role playing game for a, a major TV show for USA Networks when I was there. Uh, the iPhone came out when I was there, and I was one of the one of the first people to do work on on mobile apps. So I was able to do that. So I began to see how broad UX could be applied. I I would meet with people from Ford Motor Company to optimize their PDFs that they would put on the site to optimize that user experience there with the metadata and and all the other things and going through the analytics and, 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 and analyzing and synthesizing and trying to optimize things. I began to see that UX is a lot broader than people think. I was actually the person who went to HR and told them that they should change our title. And so I was, I drove that <laughs> at that company. Some people don't know that. I told some people that and they didn't believe it. Yeah, it happened. And the fact that it's its amazing how some people don't believe it because they don't believe it, it didn't happen. It happened. And and, and that was just another milestone for me. Uh, I also helped lead efforts to establish best practices for several aspects of the digital user experience. Uh, we, we actually split it up amongst all the UX people and my main one involved the best practices associated with video players and just the video experience. Uh, how long? What's the best practice for the longest videos? How should the, the video player be structured? Uh, all those types of things, very granular approach, but I led those charges. Left there to work for another agency. And there we supported the work for General Motors. Now, while I was there, I had already, well, while I was at the bank, I got my bachelor's degree and then I immediately started pursuing my master's degree. By 2011, in 2011, I graduated from Syracuse with my first UX-related master's degree. So I'm trying to help illustrate too. See, I wasn't going the academic route. This was in, This was on top of. And I have to mention, one of the main reasons I was doing the master's degrees was because I wanted to make myself as qualified as possible. And some people weren't thinking about you unless you have the degrees. So I have the experience and some people were blowing me off. Okay. You want me to have paper? That's the hurdle. That's the blockade. We're going to address the blockade. You want me to have a master's degree? I'm going to go and get a master's degree. I'm not going to sit here and cry about what you won't let me do. I'm going to go and get qualified. You can't stop me anymore. So that's what I chose to do. That was my approach. And some people say, well, I don't have the money to do that. There's still other ways to approach it. There's still other things that you can do. I get it. I understand. Matter of fact, one of the morals of the story is that in me telling this story is that everything that I've gone through, everything I'm talking about in the detail, I'm talking about it. There pretty much isn't anybody I can't relate to. If If you're trying to transition into UX, I feel you. I understand that if you're struggling and you didn't go to school for a long time, you couldn't afford it. I did that. There, there, there isn't a scenario struggling to get that first UX job. I didn't work full time in UX for 10 years. And so and was freelancing before that. A lot of people know how that feels. So I can relate to, the challenges that people have, the different things that they're dealing with. I'm not, I'm not estranged from it. And I don't have to, I don't have to sympathize. I can empathize because I, I know what it is. So anyway, any rate, back to the timeline. I left the creative agency in 2011 to go and work for IBM. I won't get into any details about that, but it wasn't fun. That's all I'll say about that. I am big on the power associated with accountability. And education. And because of that, and because I had this, I was starting to get an idea, you know, I sure would like to teach. That that love for instructional design started to come back. And and I wanted to see, are there any gaps? I I really believe in that. That thing where forget what you know, expose yourself to something as if you don't know it, and hunt for gaps. Look for look for things in your life, in your acumen, in your 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 skill level, look for things that you can make better or things that maybe you just don't know. Because sometimes you don't know what you don't know, but you don't know what you don't know until you get exposed to someone or something where that thing you don't know is presented. And then it hits you like a ton of bricks and then you make a decision to make yourself better, submit yourself to that thing and said, you know what, I've been doing this work for a little bit, I got a master's degree, I don't care. I went back to school right away, pursuing a second master's degree this time at kent state forget what you know get in there do the work as if you don't know it then just just let them talk to you don't 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 have to be heard don't try to show people how smart you are just just get in there and do what the instructors do the assignments do the work do the, read all the materials they provide you just you don't know just go in like you don't know and attack and that's what i did and four years later, I earned my second graduate degree. And again, speaking to the the false report that I came by way of academia, by the time I graduated with Kent, from Kent State University with a second master's degree, I had now been working in UX for twenty years. So I got my first job without a bachelor's degree. All I had was an associate's degree when I got that job at the bank and as, and in twenty fifteen, that's when I got my second master's degree. Now, all that time, also, it's important to know, I never abandoned the self-taught component. I continued to read books. I continued to find things that I could apply and then, and then engage from a from a critical thinking, from an academic perspective, and trying to, to look at this thing from every angle, examine it, and, and try to drive this, this heightened sense of understanding of the things that I was reading about, things that were being presented to me so that I could really know these things like the back of my hand. I'm also big on second nature. Don't don't just spew things out, don't be a parrot, know something. Expose yourself to something so much that you truly truly know it. And and so that's part of my path. So, I hope somebody is taking note of these things and looking at what you can do. So you can, remember, you can do it too. So continue to immerse myself in books, looking critically, looking at every opportunity to grow. And, and, and again, one of the reasons I went to graduate school was because I wanted to look at my desire or it was it had to do with my desire to eventually marry, because especially since that love for information, for interaction design was coming back, I wanted to marry my education passion and my user experience passion. And and there is something that I missed in the midst of this. I'll, I'll just digress for a moment. I won't tell you how this happened, but for some reason I stopped going to Kent State for a hot minute and of course figuratively. And I went to Michigan State University, go green, and I ended up pursuing and completing a grad Certificate in educational technology. So that 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 passion for education was starting to surface itself. I didn't realize what was what it was going to turn into. I didn't realize why, but it was just driving me at the time. So I just did it. So I got the grad cert in educational technology before I finished the the second master's at Kent State. Matter of fact, I was falling in love with education again so much that I was going to go after a master's in education from Michigan State, and uh, it was, and I decided, you know what, no, why am I doing this? And I did go to some other schools to check out some other schools for UX. I won't mention who they were, but I wasn't really that thrilled with them. I'll share those in private conversations for some of you out there that I do talk to from time to time, but I ended up going back, and in 2015, I graduated from Kent State. So I got a bachelor's degree, two master's degrees, a grad, certain educational technology, and then I ended up starting to pursue my my PhD, and I'm a PhD candidate today. I began to pursue that, and the reason I pursued it not to help with my UX career. I don't know why people, where people get these stories from, because I never told anybody that. But people still say that kind of stuff, and then people they look at me funny because of some story somebody else told, uh, which really tells you who they are. But at any rate, I won't <laughs> I won't get into that anymore. Part of the reason I was getting a PhD because I have a desire, my long-term goal is to go into academia full-time, and I know the hurdles, I know the issues that are associated with getting a full-time job at a university, and many universities will not hire you if you do not have a PhD. And even some some of the universities that will hire you without a PhD, you don't really want to do that. Uh, And I'll just leave it at that. You don't want to do that. So uh, that's why the PhD and and we're almost done. We're going to keep pressing in that direction and wrap those things up. Hopefully that's our goal. It's our desire. And we're right there. We're in the home stretch. Uh, So we're trying to get that dissertation done and then we'll be all set with school finally, uh, except for this master's photography thing I'm going to do. But (laughs) at any rate, yeah, that's that's sitting there waiting on me as, as well. So today I'm a doctoral candidate, I'm working toward the finish line, and, and this is my story. And I, I took a lot of time to share this today. I want people to hear it from me. Uh, and again, if somebody doesn't listen, they still tell their own stories. They chose to do that. I don't worry about them from the perspective that I'm not gonna sit there and cry about it. Uh, I'm just gonna tell the truth knowing that people who have some sense uh, are gonna hear this and go, no, there's no way in the world I heard Darren's story. I don't believe you. I'll equip those of you out there who who have the integrity and the ethics to represent people the right way. So that's my story. If somebody tells you I'm an academic and built my career that way, flat out folks, that's a lie. It's just a lie. And they've got, there's a reason why they take the time to tell the lie. Um, and please don't get caught up in that. Uh, if somebody told you I'm a major proponent of higher learning, that that's the only path to getting a career in UX, that's a lie. And why would I do that if that's not the path I went? I, I know better than that. I've been a hiring manager. I've hired people who didn't have a degree. I'm like, no, no, you don't have to, but there are benefits to doing it as illustrated in the story. And it benefited me dramatically. Uh, and I will say this again, those of you out there to say, hey, Darren, I I can't do a degree, uh, but I'll do something else. Well, what what can I do? But I just I'm not spending 50,000 dollars there. Give me Give me something that's doable. Okay, what about 35, 3,600? You can go to eCornell and they have a program. I, everybody that goes to boot camps needs to stop and go to eCornell because what what they're doing is it's is far cheaper, it's accredited. You have accountability with an actual instructor, a real instructor that's giving you true feedback and it's part of academia. So you're getting a proper learning experience instead of something that somebody just threw together because they they just did the supply-demand thing and just threw together a supposed learning resource. Uh, I won't even get into the whole boot camp thing. Please stop with the boot camp thing. So there's something that's achievable. $3,600 is achievable. You are going to get what you pay for. Uh, and, and I'm not just saying you're going you're gonna to pay the thirty six. dollars 100 versus 50,000, oh, what about that? What if we look at it from that angle, Darren? What I'm trying to say is not that. What I'm trying to say is that you're going to have to invest something. Even if you just go the self-learning route because contrary to popular belief, there's a cost associated with self-learning. So are you willing to go and buy all those books? Are you willing to spend all of that time? Do you have the discipline to do everything that's needed? Are you... Are you in a, in a position to go and find people to critique your work? Cause you've got to get feedback or you don't know where you are. You don't know where you stand. So no matter what, what you do, no matter how you approach user experience, there's going to be an investment of some type. So make your decision and then go forward. And you can always build on certain routes. If you go self Self-taught now, you can always do something else later. If you go to Interaction Design Foundation and sign up for a monthly or a yearly membership, you get access to their entire library. There's ways to get viable learning without breaking the bank. And when I'm hiring an entry-level person, it's all about passion. I have a a higher personal UX maturity, so you're not gonna get this from everybody, don't forget that. But I'm looking for passion, I'm looking for somebody who's eager to learn. And if you give me somebody with passion and somebody who's eager to learn, they can learn anything about UX. They can learn how to use the tools that we use. It's not about having a whole bunch of skill and bringing that to the table. It's about bringing something that somebody can mold. It's about bringing a pliability that helps to you help somebody that so they can help you to be what you're seeking to be. So that's what's, Important today, folks. So, again, remember, I said this earlier, I say it again. I can relate to practically any path and any need that somebody has when somebody is trying to enter, not break into, enter into UX. And there are people, I'm not the only one, there's other people who are willing to help you without trying to get rich off of you. So, please know that these things are available. There are some resources, Dr. Ari. It's about the starter resource to help people to get into research. It's viable. There's a price associated with it, but you're learning from viable people. Dr. Nick is going to be part of that fantastic thing that they're going to be doing. But it's viable, folks. It's achievable. It's doable. It's sensible. You'll really be marketable. You still have some of the same challenges. Somebody said in a post recently that trying to find a UX job today is hard. Today, it's always hard and it's going to be hard for the unforeseeable future. So don't act like it's going to be easy for anybody because it's not. It's a challenge no matter what seniority level you're at. So, this is my path. You're going to have a story to tell with regard to your path. Whatever it is, hang in there, be patient and pursue UX the right way. I can't stress that enough, especially today, because people are trying to sell folks on this microwavable UX path. It's not happening. And even if you do go that way and get a job, it's likely to blow up on you later. If you do it right, you're more likely to have that be more stable in the long run. You'll be more selective about where you go to work. You'll be selective about who you work with You'll be selective as to how you get the work done. And that's when we make the impact. So not only, you don't want to just get the job, you want to represent the discipline the right way. There's a lot of people who have UX jobs and they represent the discipline the wrong way, which is counterproductive. That hurts the team. Uh, That hurts everything. And eventually somebody's going to see it and out the door you go. So make sure that you understand all these concepts. And again, that's my path, your story. Some people's story is just like mine. Some, vast majority is not. So your story will be your story. And there's a hundred different ways to enter into UX with regard to the way that the stories flow. Just be patient, form your story, but understand you do need to learn the basics of the discipline. You do need to define it properly. You do need to get some type of solid education. If you're gonna build a building, you gotta have a good foundation. You cannot build a building on top of no foundation, which is what a lot of people are doing today. So please don't do that. And if you have a sound foundation, only good things should come behind that. Sound good? So folks, that's my path to UX. What's yours today? Or if you're still building it, what is it going to be? You're in control. You're ahead of it. Let's do it the right way. That is all the time we have for today. So this is Darren Hood, the host of the World of UX, signing off. Until next time, happy UXing, everybody.